So there they go. If you want your kids to join the herd, if you want your kids to join the stampede, they're welcome. If not, then, then you can hold them here with you, and that's fine too. We like kids. I'm okay with noisy kids. Yeah. It's better than having them aborted. Did I step on anybody's toes? It's all right, I'd do it again anyway. You know, when you get to a place in God where you are confident in Him, really confident in the Lord, people don't like that. Because you're unmanipulable. And they'll classify you as arrogant. But you know what? We're never supposed to compromise the confidence God has given us to appease the generation that might accuse us. Those people you're trying not to offend, they won't be there when you stand before him. <laughs> They're not going to be next to you. I'd rather offend people than the Lord. So... I don't try to. Some people think I do, but I, I don't try. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. If you're here, I'm so glad you're here. However, if you came to this church hoping to get out to beach the lunch crowd, you picked the wrong Sunday morning to come to, and you picked the wrong church. I'm sorry. If you're going to Lindo, you're going to have to wait because we get you out at the worst possible time to get over there. Um, I apologize for that. <laughs> I want you to turn to Isaiah 55. I was asking the Lord just last few weeks. We've been on a few series here in the church that I feel are strategic. Um, however, if you've missed those, um, we have them online, right? Uh, I, here, here's what I want to say before I get started. If you are coming here and you're new here and, and we're not real familiar with you yet and you feel like God's calling you to this house and this is your church and, and this is where God's going to have you, um, I'm not asking for you to, to give anything or be a part of anything other than what you want to do yourself. However, to understand where God is taking us and how you're going to fit in that, I would very highly encourage you and recommend to you to either go on our podcasts or go on the website and go back and find a few series that we've done because they're absolutely crucial and paramount to where this church is going, what we believe, and where we're standing on, and what you need to actually be able to catch up and jump into where God has us now. The first one I'm asking you to go and listen to, and it's, I don't know, how five or six series, is the Sonship series. I really am asking you, if you feel like this is where God is leading you, to take time and go back and listen to that. I don't care if you've heard other messages on it. Praise God, it'll hopefully add to those things. I'm not saying we're unique here, but I have preached on this in a way where I've never heard it preached on before, and I've been to a lot of places. doesn't mean that we've got something that's a corner market. I'm just saying for if God's calling you here, I need you to go into the series. And the next one I need you to listen to would be the Mind Renewal series. Okay? The Mind Renewal series. Um, 
there's six on that one. So Eric does a such a servant's job putting all those online and hours of internet work with no pay. Such a blessing. <clears throat> so um, the Mind Renewal series, and then um, I'm not sure how far this one's going to go, but we're going to be talking about the kingdom of God, okay? Because those three build on each other. Many things I'm going to say this morning are indicated or hinted at in the previous series that we went, that we went through, okay? Are you with me? I want, to, I want to just establish something really quick that comes from one of those series. In Genesis chapter 15, God makes a covenant with us. It supersedes the Mosaic law and the Mosaic covenant. It's more important than the laws of Moses. And it's built on blood. You with me? In that chapter, I outlined in one of those messages called the Abrahamic Covenant that God gave us, God's ultimate intention for mankind. Okay? In that, I list four intentions and orders in which the church has to be built. And if it is inverted in any way, the entire thing implodes upon itself and doesn't become the past. It's possible to maintain a church and not build the kingdom. <clears throat> hmm. There are two separate things. You can create and sustain an organization and never fulfill the intention that Abba has for this world. So the first thing he does is he establishes covenant. And that covenant is the bedrock for everything that's going to be built on top of it. The first thing he does is he establishes covenant. If you and I don't understand that covenant and what it means and how we're supposed to defend it, then everything else after that in your life, not only is it not going to make sense, but you are going to be spiritually frustrated, chasing your tail on a proverbial merry-go-round of Christianity, never being fully satisfied in your spirit. And you're going to run from conference to conference to church to church trying to fill that void whenever the entire problem is caused because you don't understand what God is actually doing. I'm all for conferences, but if you feel like that has to happen or you feel like you have to have a revival in order to shake this nation, you're deceived. I'm praying for it too, but that's not the necessity of it. Revivals by nature will fail. Name one that's lasted forever. There's only one, and it's called heaven. We haven't got there yet. Revival is just God's trick to get us to like him again. <laughs> That's all it is. Because the real work starts after the revival occurs. We feel like the revival occurring was the work. Once people get saved, that is when the work starts. So God establishes his covenant. The next thing he does is he establishes identity which is sonship. And then what he does is he establishes the church under that identity. And then the church establishes the kingdom of God. You with me? So I see a lot of people trying to establish a church without the identity or the covenant and the understanding. And then they get blown out because they don't understand what it costs and what it, the bedrock of all that is. Or I, try, I see a lot of churches or people trying to establish the kingdom, but they're not really a part of a church. I don't mean... Sunday morning attendance. If you think church is Sunday morning attendance, you're also deceived. <laughs> this is not church. You are the church. The church has to be built. 
this is just a place we meet in. <laughs> this is not church. You are the ecclesia of God. You have to be built. Okay? And it takes people to build you. People that think they can stay home and just always watch online. All you're doing is puffing up knowledge without ever increasing the, the uh, pressure of the communal stance that God puts in us to be able to break off certain things in within each other. There's a peace of God in each person in this room. And if you don't release what's in you, somebody else is deprived of their journey. Period. Completely selfish to stay home. Now, if you're sick, that's fine. All you guys who are watching this morning, we're not talking about you. So, we've got to build. The ultimate intention is for God to build his kingdom. You can't do that without those other three pillars being stacked in themselves because that's the order. And anybody who wants to put kingdom first has to go back to the covenant, the identity, and then the church to be able to put that kingdom first. Does this make sense? This is why it's absolutely crucial if you feel like God's calling you here to go back and listen to those two series. If this is not your church, you don't, you don't have to listen to them. But if you want to, you, you can. This is what we're doing. Okay? Oh, that's out of the way. Okay. When you go to chapter, Isaiah chapter 55, we're going to go to verse 7. It is imperative for me to tear down Christian thinking in you. Because Christian thinking is not kingdom thinking. I know, I know the intent was Christian thinking was supposed to be kingdom thinking, but we have created Christian thinking into something else. In fact, Christianity is so far removed from what Jesus intended for it to be, I don't even like to use the word anymore. I know what it's supposed to mean, but the culture and the people and the churchisms that we've created have completely robbed, pulled the teeth out of that statement to where we can't even call ourselves that without offending people. Let me give you a newsflash before we go into Isaiah 55. God's not a Christian. Okay? Jesus is not a Christian. You with me? We are sons of God. That's what he calls us. To as many as received him, gave he them power to become the sons of God. Amen. Ladies, that includes you. If you listen to the sermon series, you'll understand why that includes you. If I can be the bride of Christ, then you can be a son. So let's just get over it, right? Okay. There's no male or female, right? We're sons of God. That's what we'll be. Okay. I'm going to try to tear down this thinking. Now, if you stay here long enough, every sermon I preach is designed to, one, give glory to God, two, to tear down religious strongholds of, th of thought in your head. Because I was raised under the same prophetic, pharaohistic you know, reality, and I had to break off a lot of things. And you know what? When you start breaking that stuff off, a lot of people want to call you in error or false because they want to keep you under an old covenant mindset. They want to make everything about your sin and your morality. And the gospel becomes nothing more than you being free from sin. But yet, they keep you focusing on it because 
you're never going to be perfect in this life. So they have a perpetual cycle of conviction to keep you dependent upon the preacher and the speaker, only revolving around you getting free from some immorality in your life. And that is not good news. That's not the gospel. Salvation and the forgiveness of sin is the beginning of the kingdom of heaven. It's not the perpetual stirring of the pot. Sadly, most churches, if they're doing right, they're having to spend entirely way too much amounts of time to get people out of their pain, out of their history, out of their victimization, out of their mindsets, out of their strongholds, out of their religious ideas, out of the hurts and the wounds and the abandonments and the rejections because that's become their gospel. And most people's identity is locked up into one moment where, where someone left you or someone hurt you or someone abandoned you and you're flash frozen in that moment for forever and you're trying to make sense of Christianity within that context. And that's why you're frustrated. The kingdom of God supersedes your pain. It will outlast your moments of abandonment. The kingdom of God is something that is eternal. Your pain is temporary. There's a scripture that says Jesus is going to wipe those tears away from your eyes. I would rather him do that here and now than to regret those things and have him do it there and then. The focus is the kingdom. But you can't be kingdom focused unless you're absolutely sure of the covenant he made with you. And you can't be absolutely sure of that until he establishes that identity in you. I can tell you you're a son of God and you can rejoice over that. But when you get back into your life and stuff starts hammering you, you doubt some days whether you're really doing right before God or not. Because you're not sure of the covenant and you're not sure of the identity. You agree with me. You, you practically agree with me theologically. But in actual life application, we don't live as sons. Because we don't believe. We don't believe in the power of the covenant that God established to build the kingdom. We're still trying to be good enough to be kingdom people. I'm going to let that hang there for a minute. Because I promise you, most of you are doing that more than you realize. You're trying to be good enough to be kingdom people. God doesn't call good people to build his kingdom. He remakes sons and builds it anyway. The covenant is stronger than your ability to keep it. Go back to Genesis 15. You're going to figure that out. See, I'm trying to, I'm trying to make you go back and listen to the series. See, Christianity says the responsibility is on you to maintain your relationship with Jesus. My Bible says he's the author and the finisher of my faith. See, Jesus asked me one time, he said, he said, my relationship with you is stronger than your relationship with me. Which one are you going to trust?
Because I realized I had trust in my relationship with him. But guess what? If my relationship with him falters because of some human error that I make, then guess what? My relationship with him seems broken. And then I begin to come to him in a way that I actually don't exist in. In the old school way of thinking, who pursues who in a relationship? Who pursues who? Does the wife pursue the husband or does the husband pursue the wife? Who's the husband? Who are you? Who pursues who? Why do you think he came? Because he was pursuing you. What's the wife's job? To surrender to the pursuit of the husband. That's what a relationship with Jesus should look like. If you want to bear the responsibility of your personal relationship with Jesus, then you're constantly going to be working hard to pursue him and feel never, you're never going to feel like you actually catch him. You know, because what I figured out, and if you haven't figured this out and you don't believe what I'm about to say, you'll figure it out the hard way and you'll come back 20 years from now and say, you were right. You'll never be a good enough Christian for the devil. Fast six days, you should have did seven. Read two chapters, you should have read four. And he will keep you on that religious merry-go-round, never rejoicing in the fact that the covenant of God stands sure because he's the one that walked through that blood, not us. You don't have the power to walk that trail. That's why Abraham didn't step foot in it. Some of y'all don't know what I'm talking about, and you need to know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Isaiah 55. This is before Jesus came, but it's Jesus speaking. Okay? Some of y'all need to get out of this crazy thought that God is speaking in the Old Testament, and Jesus is speaking in the New He's the Word. He always has been the Word. He always will be the Word. And whenever He speaks in the Old Testament, it's just, it's Him. It's Jesus. This is Jesus crying out to His people. And He's saying this. Let the wicked forsake His way. Some of y'all need to learn how to do that. Because every one of y'all have a way in here that you think is right in your pursuit of God. You think just because it's the pursuit of God, it automatically makes it right. I'm going to prove to you it doesn't. Sometimes the thing that takes you away from God the most is your idea of who he, you think he is, and you're pursuing that, and it's not really him. Because you're, you're pursuing him based upon the knowledge of your past experiences, not the future of his glory that he's going to unfold before you. So how do you pursue something you don't know? You can't. You surrender as it comes. 
See, if your object to pursue God is based upon your past experiences, then you can control him. But if, but if we're dependent upon him revealing himself to us, what are you going to do with that? Demand that he does it when you want him to? That's the surest fire way to make sure it doesn't happen. See, there's certain things that Jesus said, I want to tell you a lot of stuff, but I can't because you can't understand it right now. So he'll show us when we're ready. So you know how, you want, you want more of Jesus, you want to see more of who he is? Embrace who he's showing you who he is now, and then more will be given. Well, I don't like what, what, what he's showing me right now. Well, then you're not going to get any more. Because sometimes what he's showing you right now is he's the God who can heal pain. But yet you're running from the pain he's trying to heal you from. And you're extending your season way longer than it should be. Let the wicked man forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Why? Because your way and your thoughts determine how you interact with God himself. Both have to be forsaken. But what if you have a lot of good revelation? It still needs to be forsaken. Are you following what I'm saying? Yes. If you build a house out of brick... And each brick represents a revelation. And I give you a brick, or God gives you a brick. And you're so excited about the power of that brick, the placement of that brick, and the understanding of how it fits in there. And you, you lay that brick. But then you keep going back to that same one over and over and over again. Does anything get built? No. Does it serve a purpose? Absolutely. But not so that you can pigeonhole God into doing what you think you want him to do when you want him to do it, making you what you think you want to be. See, everybody in here has an idea of what they think they want to be before God. The problem is, is that that idea clashes with what his idea of who he wants you to be is. Did you hear what I just said? See, everybody in here has an idea of what they think they want to end up like being, like, like being. But the problem is, is that God's idea of what he wants you to be clashes with that idea. Because you think you want to be like Jesus. You think that's the idea. And you're right, but you're also wrong because of your interpretation of what Jesus really looks like. See, when you pray to be like, made like Jesus, you know what God's going to do? He's going to send you a cross. And then, because of our Christian thinking, you know what we're going to do? We're going to start rebuking that cross, thinking it's from the devil. You know what God's going to do when you want to be like Jesus? He's going to send you a Judas. See, your idea of being like Jesus is this pie-in-the-sky reality where you can fold your hands crosswise, float two inches across the air, and heal everybody that comes past your shadow. That's your idea, that you're morally perfect, completely unmoved, untouched by demonic th thinking, untouched by other people's sins, and you can't even show me where that happened in Jesus' life. When you want to be more like, when you want to be made like Jesus, 
Sometimes other people's sin is laid on you. And then you're bitter and angry because God's answering your prayer. Because we haven't developed a kingdom mindset. We have a Christian mindset. A Christian mindset has, has, has reduced itself down to God keeping bad things from happening to good people. God blessing me and God protecting me. You can't ask for God's blessing and God's protection and to, ask like Je- to be like Jesus at the same time. Because God's blessing is the cross. He doesn't protect you from the cross. He, he blesses you with resurrection. Nobody wants to go through those times. It's hard. I've been through some of them. And I'm not talking about because of my own sin. You can go through hard times because you create such a terrible life for yourself and you can call that the cross. That's stupidity. That's you suffering from your own actions. You put certain things into your body, that's not the cross. That's demonic influence that's eventually going to kill you. Period. You're suffering by the weight of your own hand, and then you blame God for it. People spend 50 years smoking cigarettes, and then they're asking God for healing from lung cancer. Well, this is my cross to bear. No, it's just stupid. I'm not saying, I mean, if you want to do that, that's between you and Jesus. I'm not saying, I'm not going to judge you, but I mean, the cigarettes will judge you. Your sin will judge you. If you haven't read your Bible and figured out if you do certain things in the flesh, it could actually shorten your life. I've heard people like this weird, stupid idea that says, oh, well, you know, when it's my time to go. No, 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 no. The Bible talks about people prematurely dying. Like, like missing out on all the plans that God had for you because of a Christian mindset. I don't know how I got off on that tangent. Let him return to the Lord. That's what we should do. And he will have mercy on him. And to our God, he will abundantly pardon. Next verse. Guess what? That's still true. My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways. What if you're saved, though? You understand that your brain doesn't get born again when you get saved? Anybody that's walked in Christianity long enough realizes that the biggest thing you're ever going to fight is not the devil. It's not other people. It's right here. You can't run away from it. You have to kill it. And they don't die easy. So what happens if we bring our thoughts and our ways into his kingdom? Do you know what religion is? It's a good attempt to serve God in a way he never was ever asked to be served. It's our ways of serving God and demanding that he blesses that. It's creating Ishmael and then saying, oh God, that Ishmael might live before you. Because that's what Abraham prayed, remember? (laughs) Was Ishmael the plan of God? No. 
No. How do we know that? Because whenever God tells Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, he says, take your son, your only son. See, God doesn't acknowledge your Ishmael's. You can start a prayer meeting outside of the Holy Spirit and create Ishmael's. You think just because you're praying that you're doing something right. Well, what if all you're doing is conjuring up charismatic witchcraft? And you're not praying within the will of God. What if you're praying your will over situations and not his? And we're arrogant enough to assume that what we're praying is God's will. This is why Jesus taught us how to pray. Because we would pray amiss. Are you with me? We need to forsake our ways and our thoughts, especially as we start learning more about Scripture. You know what the Bible says? It says knowledge. What? What does it do? It puffs up. (laughs) But love edifies. See, we don't need more knowledge. We need more love. I quit praying for love. I, I started praying to be love. Because love isn't a thing, it's a person, it's an identity. God is love. I don't want to love people, I want to be love to people. Because if I love them, I have a choice to hate them. But if I am love, I have zero choice but to do what I am. I'm not there yet. Oh, I'm so not there yet. I prayed to be like Jesus, and he sent me a couple people that are teaching me. How to be love. Thank you, Father. (laughs) Next verse. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, what's higher than the earth? Where does God exist? Where does this kingdom exist? Where does it also exist? As the heavens are higher than the So my ways and my thoughts. So what is God's, what is Jesus saying here? He's saying, I want you to focus on heavenly things, my thoughts, my ways, my intentions, and you forsake everything else. Guess what? They didn't listen. Do you realize it's, a, it's possible to be in the, right smack in the middle of kingdom teaching and never understand what you're hearing? Go read Matthew 5. We read that as if it's like scriptures on a page, but do you understand that Jesus had a church service going on at that moment? A lot of people there listening. Imagine, like, like we complain about our pastors and this and that and blah, blah, blah. But do you imagine that this is Jesus? Like, there is no greater authority. There is no one more anointed. There is no one more capable to preach this message than him. And he's preaching it, and they didn't get it. So quit blaming your pastor. Because if Jesus were here preaching this, he would do a much greater job, but those who wouldn't hear aren't going to hear anyway, no matter whose mouth it's coming out of. Because they don't have a kingdom heart and they don't have a kingdom mind. They're obsessed 
with their interpretation of religion, their interpretation of scripture, their interpretation of life, and what they want God to do for them. And then they wonder why things are chaotic in their life. Or why their children don't love the Lord. Or why they have to drag them to church. So your children will test your theology. <laughs> you think you believe certain things. But your kids will show you where the life really is. And if they're not loving the kingdom, it's your fault. Some of y'all should read your Bible. See, your kids are your true testimony to what you actually believe. You can sit here and argue with me theologically over a lot of the different stuff, but you know what I'm going to look at? Your home. Because <laughs> that doesn't lie. Your wife knows who you really are. Your kids, they know what you really are. We just put on the nice little faces for church because we don't want to be exposed. But you know what the Bible says? That kingdom people run to the light so that their deeds can be exposed. But everybody else runs to the darkness so they can hide. Because we fear judgment so much from mankind based upon our darkness and our sin, we won't even absolutely obey Scripture by bringing our, our situations to the light. Because we have Christian thinking, because we're so afraid of what everybody else is going to think about the things that are wrong in our life, we actually won't come to the one who can fix them by the ways and the means that he's telling us to come, which is to expose ourselves. So in other words, we fear the judgment of man more than we fear the judgment of Father. Which makes you manipulable? Pastors who are not of the kingdom love people like that because they can manipulate you. And take your money and keep you showing up and filling their agenda and buying their books. Yeah. You want one of my books, sir? You can go get one. I won't even charge you for it. Next verse. For as the rains come down, the snow from heaven, and they don't return there, but the water, the earth, and they make it bring forth bud, that it gives seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Next verse. So shall my word that goes forth from my mouth, it will not return to me void. It will accomplish what I please, and it will prosper in the thing that I sent it to do. We use that verse over our intentions. Oh, the, Lord's, the, the word of the Lord won't return void, brother. It will in somebody who doesn't have a kingdom heart. You know why? Because later on, Jesus tells a parable about a seed sower who went out and sowed seed. The word is what? The seed is what? It's the word. The word it says the seed is the word of the kingdom. It doesn't say the word of the gospel. It says the word is the word of the kingdom. Because the kingdom isn't a word, it's a person. And do you know in that story, this here says that, that we won't return void to him. In that story, 75% of the people who heard the word 
Didn't make it. Three out of four. Three out of four people who heard the word of the kingdom didn't make it. 75%. So how come it doesn't, well, it doesn't return void. It doesn't return void in true sons of God. Yes. Because this is a son speaking this. And this word came from heaven to this earth, sent by God. And this word accomplished the purposes for the things which he sent it to do. Only 25% of the people in the parable accomplished the purposes for which God has established to do. Why do you say that? So that would be, go back to the next, the verse 10. So that it would bring forth bud and it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. What's God's intent here? Multiplication. Seed is multiplication. One turning into a hundred. One seed turning into a thousand. A thousand seeds turning into 10 million. That's the goal of the kingdom, to propagate one at a time bearing fruit. Why? Because the rains will come and the snow will come, but guess what? That same rain and that same snow waters the tares just the same. And tares look identical to wheat. They just have no seed inside them. We look at tares in the scripture like they're this horrible, vicious, evil people. No, come on. Tares in the scripture, dude, guys, you, you want these people as your neighbors. They're not going to steal from you. They're probably going to help you change your tire. They're going to watch your property. They're good people. They're good people. On the outside, they look like good people. They just don't care about the kingdom of God. They're, they may even be saved, but they produce no fruit. They had an experience with God however many years ago, but they've made zero disciples. Zero. They made no disciples. Why? Because their entire Christian life is about them, their morality, or their sin. Sin-focused Christianity. And if you do that, the devil can keep you spinning in circles until you drill your own grave. Because your entire focus is the sin that's in your life instead of the Savior who set you free from it. And you're basing everything upon the emotion of how sin makes you feel. And that's why you think it has power. But my Bible says the just walk by faith, not by emotions. Well, brother, it says sight. Sight is a sensory issue. Sight, smell, touch, taste, all which stimulate feeling and emotion in the body. With me? So the word he sends will prosper to what he intends it to do. Do you know that you're a word from God? Your word he spoke into your generation. Will you accomplish the thing that he sent you to do? What if what he sent you to do isn't what you want for your life? Go to Matthew chapter 4. 
See, this is just a big preface. This is all this is. This sermon is just a huge introduction to what kingdom should be. And I've just had to spend 30, 40 minutes just tearing down the opposite of what the kingdom is. We haven't even got to what it is yet. <laughs> We're just trying to get ourselves out of the way so we can restructure ourselves to actually have our lives make sense. Instead of realizing it's coming to some idea that it, we're, we're, we're reduced to nothing other than getting married, paying taxes, finding a good job, and then going to church and dying. That's some, that's some people's life in here. Focused on your retirement. So you're going to spend 47 years of your life so that you can have 13 years of ease? Seems like a really bad trade. This is why the world has gotten in our heads. You with me? Yes. You take the kingdom wherever you go. We've just compartmentalized certain things to say, well, I can't talk about this at work. Why not? Well, I'll get fired. Well, then find a different job. Amen. Well, I can't because then I won't pay, well, pay my bills. Well, then lower your standard of living. Well, I don't want to do that. Well, there we go. That's, we, get, we get down to the point now of what really is real. See, if the kingdom was the most important thing, then everything would revolve around it. It seems like somewhere in the Bible, somewhere like maybe Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, it says, seek the kingdom first. It doesn't even say seek God first. You know why? Because whenever you seek the kingdom, you automatically find the king. He's just present. Oh, my goodness. We're so out of order is why we're confused. Our whole Christianity is upside down. We're trying to put different pieces out of order and do what God tells us to do. Covenant, sonship, church, and kingdom. You've got to put it in order, and you've got to go through those seasons in which God is preparing you through those stages. And then things will start working for you. Okay. <clears throat> See, Jesus' first sermon was this. Matthew 4, 16, it says, the people who sat in darkness saw a great light. You know why they saw a great light? Because they finally saw a son instead of a prophet, instead of an apostle, instead of a pastor, instead of an evangelist, instead of a teacher. They saw a son. They saw the son of God. People ask me, like, well, what's your, what's your five-fold gift? Are you an apostle? Are you a pastor? Are you a prophet? I'm a son. That's what I am. Because sons trump all five gifts. Amen. They do. Sons will pastor. They'll, they'll work in the apostolic. They'll prophesy. They'll evangelize. And they'll teach. Jesus did all of them. See, son is the highest, the highest order you can actually get to in the kingdom of God. And you got it. It's kind of nice sleeping music. <laughs> I need that for my alarm to wake up to in the morning. <laughs> Send that to me. <laughs> a son is the highest order of the kingdom you can get, and you got that by doing nothing. 
you believed. That was the qualification to achieve the highest rank that heaven had to give you. And you, he gave you that rank knowing the struggles that you were going to go through, the trials you were going to go through, the moral failures you were going to go through, the difficulties you were going to go through, the unbelief you were going to go through, the doubt, the judgments. He still said, I'm calling you a son. You ever read when Paul opens up his letter to, to the Corinthians, the most carnal church in the New Testament, he calls them saints right off the bat? <laughs> you know what that word means? It means holy. Yet he goes through the entire book basically reprimanding for their own unholiness. Why? Because he was calling out the identity that God gave them, hoping to shock them into the reality of letting go of the wickedness and the ways of thinking so they could come into what was already been given to them. So how do you get out of your sin? You focus on the reality that God has given you. You don't focus on the sin to get out of the sin. That's a black hole that will suck you in. Okay. So, they saw a great light. Why? Next, next verse. Sorry, you did good. From that time forth, Jesus began to preach and say what? It's the first message, the, the word of God. Remember Isaiah? Remember what he said in Isaiah? Now he's here saying the same thing. What does that word repent mean? Change, change what you think. I've taught you guys that. Some of you new people, you might think it's coming to the altar and weeping and crying over sin. That's not what the word means. That's confession. Repentance is when you actually restructure your brain away from the intentions you thought God wanted into the intentions he actually desires. You change your theology to come into his. You don't try to take what he's doing and fit it into what you think. Does this make sense to you? So in other words, you and I cannot receive the kingdom of God at all, period, until we repent. Everything that Jesus teaches from this verse forward made no sense to those who didn't do the first word. This is why they sat under apostolic, prophetic, evangelistic, sonship teaching. And they missed it. Your pastor doesn't determine the ability by which you receive the word of God. Whether he's a terrible preacher or a great one it doesn't matter what matters is your reception of that word jesus was saying i the kingdom man am here and you're not going to be able to understand my order my teaching or my intention unless you change how you think because these guys still thought this man was going to come and liberate them from all their problems, much the way we see God in our current situations. Prayer is usually nothing more than crying out to God to fix something in us that we want changed. And that's not the model in which God told us to pray. And he says, you're not going to be able to get it. And so they're looking at this man who, who God's going to come and he's going to save us all. And what's Jesus actually going to do? He's going to go and die. He's going to offend every one of his followers. 
by his ways, his intentions. His, his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher. His kingdom is higher than our kingdom. And if you're living for this kingdom of this world, everything in your Christianity is not going to make sense. The most dangerous part of that parable, that sower, which we're going to get to in the next series, is this. Is, what, is These people have this experience with God. They receive the word. It grows up into their life. But the cares of life over time choke out the fruitfulness of that word, and it doesn't bear fruit. But you will never convince those people. They will look you straight in the eye and defy you to your face based upon the experiences they have if you tell them that they're not bearing fruit in their life. You know why? Because somewhere along the journey, they got caught up in making money. They got caught up in financial provision. They got caught up in blessing. They got caught up in pain, hurt, wounds. And it began to choke the life of God inside of them. What somebody else did wrong to them began to choke the life of God inside of them. And they began to wither. And they stopped making Christianity about other people. And they began to make it about themselves. You know what sons do when they're suffering? They make it about other people. Jesus was on the cross and he made it about us when everything in his human nature wanted to make it about his pain and his hurt and his rejections and his abandonment and his betrayal. But he made it about us. Father, forgive them. When God sends us through a cross, we start saying, God, forgive me. I must have done something wrong. No, you're actually where you're at because you've done something correct. You've prayed something accurate. Do not ever pray, Lord, make me like Jesus, if you're not willing to understand what it's going to cost you to pray that prayer. It was the most expensive prayer I've ever prayed in my life. Costs you everything to pray that prayer. We spend the 90% of the rest of our Christianity trying to get out of praying that prayer that we prayed without realizing that's what we're doing. Repent for the kingdom, right? So this, this, this verse happened. I'm going to close with this next segment because I, I can't get through it all. So this, this verse happened after, after Jesus encounters one of the greatest men we ever came up with. One of the, one of the greatest men we've ever produced Go to Matthew chapter 3. Jesus is telling us we have to change how we think. Now, keep in mind, he's talking to a bunch of people who are steeped in Old Testament theology. They have no idea how to look at God in a new way. They have no idea. They missed all the types and the shadows. They missed all the intentions. They missed everything. They missed all the parallels. They missed it all. And this man comes on the scene named John the Baptist, and he was the best humanity could ever come up with outside of Jesus. Jesus even says he's the greatest born of women. Like, this guy is the greatest thing that humanity could produce. Period. And he still, after this encounter, says, you need to change how you're thinking. Why? Because the greatest that we ever produced in the presence of God missed the point. Go to Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea. 
What's he preaching? He's preaching the same message. But I'm going to prove to you that message did not have a work in his own heart. You and I think because it's coming out of our mouth that we actually own it. No. You can talk of things that you understand without being the substance of your, of your speech. That's what made Jesus different is that he was the thing he was saying. He is the thing that he's speaking. And it, for us, it's just something we know. And we're cheaply throwing it around trying to grab praise from men by the greatness of our revelation because we want that pat on the back. And you know why you want that pat on the back? Because you're not confident in the identity that God made you to be and you still need a substitute called the word of man. I don't need you to come tell me that was a great sermon. You know why? Because it doesn't matter whether it was or whether it wasn't. What matters is, did you receive it? Did you actually hear it? Or did I stimulate your knowledge-based sensory mind to, to heap to yourselves more understanding without being the very thing God died to make you? He says what? Repent. Let's go down a few verses to verse 13. Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. This, this passage blew me out of the water when I finally recognized what it was really saying. Because I never thought, like, why, why, like we, we just assume. We assume. We don't read the Bible and just assume that's the way it's supposed to be. Put yourself in the story. Why in the world would Jesus have to be baptized? He's not a sinner. See, when knowledge, when knowledge collides with the will of the kingdom, there's always confusion. When what you know about God collides with what he's asking you to do, there's going to be confusion. Because this, remember, remember I'm setting the stage for This is the best we had to, to offer. Like in the flesh, you can, never, you can never be as good as this man was. Nobody in this room, in the flesh, can be of the stature and the nature that John was in the flesh. And this is the best. This, is, this guy's got it together. Like he's preparing the way of the Lord. Jesus comes to be baptized by him. That'll throw a monkey wrench in your religious thinking. That the Son of God would actually need something from you? And you spend your whole life thinking that you need something from Him? See, when Jesus shows up on the scene as the Word of God, it challenges what you think you know about Him. That's why He said you need to repent, because the old way of thinking is going to co collapse when it finally meets who I really am. Because when I introduce myself to you as a who I really am, it's going to completely tear apart everything you thought I ever was. And this idea that you have in your, in your head that you need something from the Lord and you're constantly trying to pursue him to get something is going to collapse when you actually meet the Jesus who says, I've given you all things. 
<laughs> and then you're going to realize I spent the last 20 years praying for things I already have. There's very few things in Scripture that the Bible tells you to pray for, for yourself. Because everything else has already been given to you. That's why you're frustrated, because you're praying for things you already have, and God's not answering your prayer. And you think he's not answering your prayer because you don't have what you're asking for whenever he's already given it to you, you just don't believe him. That's the epitome of spiritual frustration. What if the thing you're asking for is just waiting on you to ignite it for someone else so you can actually see its operation through you? Jesus wants something from us. Go to the next verse. See, that's human nature right there. This is just just the prophet. The prophet's always right. Always. Hey, you ever want to be frustrated in a conversation? Try to shut a prophet up. Because they always think they're right. And many times they're wrong because they only see in part. That's why Jesus calls us sons and not prophets. (laughs) Because we're supposed to see through the lens of all fivefold gifts. But if you and I get arrogant on our five-fold apostolic, prophetic, evangelistic deal, what we're doing is we're cutting off the seven eyes of God. And we're only looking through one lens. And then we pervert and, and, and invert the, 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 the character and the picture and the issue, and we characterize everything God's trying to do. See, John's looking through one set of lenses, the prophetic But then a son comes, which trumps the prophetic, and guess what happens? The prophet's now right, but he's really wrong. I need to be baptized by you, and you're coming to me? See, Jesus is without sin, so what does he need from someone else? He needs the kingdom order manifested and established the way God intended for it to be. Why? Because in the Old Testament covenant, kings cannot come to power without a prophetic anointing. And Jesus subjected himself even as the greatest to the least so that way he could accomplish kingdom principles. And when kingdom principles come to your life, they're going to be exactly opposite to what everything you think you've learned. And this guy starts making it about himself in the presence of greatness. No, no, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. You need to baptize me, Lord. Well, is he technically accurate? Well, sure. But he's wrong. Because he's not thinking kingdom thinking. This is why a few chapters later, Jesus says, repent, change how you're thinking. Because I just proved to you that the greatest man on earth wasn't thinking like I'm thinking. And if the greatest among you aren't thinking that way, where the rest of us stand? Go to the next verse. Jesus said to him, I love Jesus. He's so much better than I am. <laughs> oh, he's so much more great. I would have been like, you're an idiot. Dunk me and move. <laughs> Probably would have. Oh, man, he's so good. He says, he says, please allow it to be so. Such a gentleman. Listen to this verse. 
this statement. For thus, it is fitting for See, we want to look at, you know, well, Jesus is the only one that's righteous. Yeah, but how does he get there? With us. Do you realize that the righteousness that was produced on the cross was produced because you were there with him? Paul says if we were crucified with him, then we were raised with him. How does righteousness have a work unless unrighteousness is also present? God doesn't need you to tell him how to build his kingdom. In fact, he won't listen. It becomes us to fulfill all righteousness. And then John allowed it. Next verse. What happened when God and man collided in a kingdom reality on the earth? A seed was planted. Mark's gospel says this. That word, heavens being opened, is the same word that's used when Jesus ripped the veil and walked out of the temple. That word means to rip, to explode, an earthquake, a massive opening. What happens when God and man collide in kingdom purposes? Something comes out of heaven and begins to move in our midst. And that's what Jesus is teaching us to pray. As in heaven, so in earth. But that takes our subjection to that kingdom, which means it takes our release of the old one. And if you and I spend the rest of our life focusing on your job and your careers and your family and your money, you're never going to produce a moment like this for someone else. Do you have to work? Yes. But work doesn't have to suck in the kingdom and transpose it into something that's not supposed to be. The kingdom should transpose your work. You're not there for a paycheck. I know you think you are. You are there for the people that God has placed around you. Some of you are scared of them because you want to be accepted by people. You know, the thing that marks teenagers the most is immaturity is their want, their want to be accepted by everybody around them who is not going to give a crap about them 20 years later. <laughs> That cute outfit you wore, nobody remembers it. You spent, you spent all that time in front of the mirror and nobody gave a, a darn about it. You know why? Because they were too busy worrying about what everybody thought about them. See, you only remember the cute outfit. Nobody else remembers it because they, they don't care. Well, we do the same thing at our jobs. We do the same thing all around. We care, we care about what people are going to think about us. But you know what they're, you know they're going to remember? They're not going to remember your theology. They're going to remember who you were to them. Even Jesus said, you're going to forget everything I said. <laughs> and it's going to take the Holy Spirit to, rem to remind you of all this stuff. 
But you know what they never forgot? Who he was. I've preached 25 years of sermons. And most people, if you've been with me that long, that long a time, which very few have, you don't remember half the stuff I've preached. The only thing that matters to you is who I was to you. Immediately, the heavens were opened. He saw the Spirit of God descending. Next verse. And this is when it happened. This is my beloved son. See, this is, this, this is the next order. Matthew chapter 3, verse 17 is the next step in the order. See, the last time God encountered this type of situation was in Genesis 15. He spoke to Abraham as a father and made a covenant. In Matthew chapter 3, he spoke to the world and released the son that was going to usher in that covenant. <laughs> so good! You want to please God? Be a son. How do you be a son? You already are. My kids don't have to try to be my kids. They may be immature and they may be dumb sometimes. But it's my job to teach them. Right? It's my job to make them grow up into what they naturally possess. Whose job is it to make you grow up into the things that you naturally possess? His. Do you know why it's taking so long? Us. Rebellion stunts your own prayers you're praying for. It aborts the things you desire in your own heart. Because you're thinking like the earth. You want God to fix your problems. God wants you to build his kingdom. I've learned this. I don't know where my problems go, but they leave when I focus on building his kingdom. And the things that I prayed for about my own personal morality actually begin to naturally occur when I start doing what he asks me to do. Do you realize it's very difficult for you to live in fear if you're constantly out there loving people? Yes. <laughs> Why? Because the Bible says perfect love. You want your fear to go away? Try loving somebody else. But you know what we do? We try to rebuke it away. I rebuke you fear in Jesus. No, that's not how it leaves. You can't rebuke fear away. You don't have the power. Love makes it leave on its own. I'm not saying that service to everybody fixes everything, but I am saying that when you put the king in the kingdom first, he'll take care of your problems when he's ready to take care of them. You put his stuff first regardless of the things that are going on in your life and you trust him and you put those things first and you put him first and you trust the fact that he's going to work on your behalf when it's his time and then eventually you're going to wake up and realize, man, those things I used to pray about owning and having and wanting and releasing, they're, just, they're, they're naturally in my life right now. And the problem is you get frustrated because you want it in two weeks. Yeah. 
of the things you're praying for take 20 years. Well, I can't wait that long. Well, what else are you going to do if you live? <laughs> Waste time? Spend the next 20 years in unbelief and fear? See, he knows best, right? right. See, John was right, but he was wrong. Some of you in this place are right concerning your revelations of Jesus, but you're wrong in how you're applying them. Because when the kingdom clashes with your understanding of what you think God wants from you, you're going to be confused. Seek first. See, the kingdom mission is greater than your personal spiritual needs. When you start touching kingdom issues, you're going to realize you are expendable. And no longer are you trying to convince people and no longer are you trying to wow them with what you know. All you want is them to be closer to Jesus, even if it costs you to be a little farther away. That's a true heart of love. That Paul came to that place. He said, you know, I'd rather my, myself be sent to hell so that my brothers and sisters could know Messiah Jesus. <laughs> That's a good father. If you come to this place in your life, you're like, well, I don't care whether he sets me free for all this stuff anymore or not. That's his business. My business is to fulfill all righteousness. And I'll leave the ironing and the cleaning to the one who possesses the fuller's soap. You with me? So this is an introduction to kingdom reality, kingdom issues. There's no way you're going to be able to go back and listen to that entire series. Well, I can't say that. There might be if you really put to it. But there's, there's, I need you, if you're coming here, to, to, to begin to go through those last couple series so you can understand where we're going here. Because I want you to understand your purpose. Because if you don't, the life, life is going to give you a different one. It will. You can stand with me. I told you you weren't going to get to Lindo on time. <clears throat> I apologize for going long, but how do you unpack the pearls and the mysteries of the kingdom in a, in a 45 minutes to an hour? How do you do that? You can't. If you want to know more about these types of things, you're welcome to come back on Sunday nights. We discuss whatever's on your heart. And we try to help you and work you through things. Let the Lord move in you and disciple you the best we can. So, Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for the kingdom of God. That one way or another, it will be established. You have showed us through the dreams of Nebuchadnezzar that this great rock of Christ is going to destroy every kingdom and every empire. And your kingdom will grow with or without us. You are going to have your intentions and your purposes. I pray that this message sinks into the hearts of the hearers this morning. That they wouldn't be like those people who the seed is cast out and they don't understand and it's taken away from them. 
but they would press into the kingdom of God. And if they suffer violence, they would take it by force. We love you. We thank you, Abba. We bless these people in Jesus' name. Amen.